Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. And that means it is the day after podcast, recording this on Sunday morning as I smell bacon wafting through the house. My wonderful wife preparing breakfast for us. Buck Sanders, I'll come to you first. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about in this one. We, I do have a, a few uh, things to discuss later in the show, but Carolina walks into Durham and just kills Duke. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. Duke looked really, really bad, and Carolina looked really, really good, especially in that first half. Now, what, what does it say about us that when North Carolina loses, we've got an hour and a half podcast of things <laughs> to talk about. And when they win, convincingly, we say, well, there's not a lot to talk about. Uh, so I suppose that not having a lot to talk about is a good thing uh, as, as far as the season goes. Uh, you know, Jason talked about this. I, I, if people listen to the IC Live, which uh, Inside Carolina sponsors on WCHL, you should be listening to it. It starts three hours ahead of the games. Um, you know, I, I listened to that. I listened to Jason talking on that show, and and he probably said this on a game plan as well, um, that the way for North Carolina to really prevail in this contest was to get up and get up early. And that would kind of um, cut down the playbook for Duke. They wouldn't be able to do the things they like to do if they're trying to come from 21 down, 28 down. Uh, then they've got to, to reconfigure. Uh, and so I think that was hugely important that uh, North Carolina got off to a fast start. It's great to watch. Sam Howell operate in the fourth quarter and do miraculous things, but it's even better to watch him, you know, have a 28 point first quarter and get such an insurmountable lead that it just opens everything up for, uh, UNC offensively and, uh, really cuts down on what the other team can do. So I think that's point number one. Um, you know, point number two is, you know, getting a win over Duke and um, I, I'm old enough to remember a lot of stuff, but both of y'all are old enough to remember when North Carolina was really struggling to beat Duke and NC state. I mean, since 2012, um, you know, before Mac Brown got to North return to North Carolina, North Carolina went five and seven against Duke in those, uh, uh, five of seven. Duke went five of seven against UNC, and NC State went four of seven against UNC in those seven years uh, prior to from 2012 to when Mac returned in uh, 2019. So it's really important to get those wins. I mean, we really uh, can engage in moaning and groaning and being upset about losing to Florida State and Virginia because there were teams UNC should have beaten. But at the same time, would you take wins over Florida State and Virginia 
and losses to Duke and NC State. And, you know, that's just crazy talk there. So um, I think those are the two big takeaways. Um, you know, it was good to see um, some of the young defensive players flash. Um, Des Evans, you know, that kid's going to be a stud before he leaves UNC. And Miles Murphy, and, and they're just kind of scratching the surface there because uh, KBJ has been hurt. And Clyde Pender also, I think, was uh, slowed down by injuries and so on and so forth. And and then they got Ritzy and Silver coming next year and Clyde Pender. I mean, things are going to change. Uh, so it's good to see some of those guys flash. Um, but, you know, you, what else really um, can we talk about except, you know, great day for the Tar Heels. And, and when that UNC offense gets going, I don't know that there is a better offense in college football. Uh, Florida looked really good yesterday against a great defensive team. But uh, when that UNC offense is clicking on all cylinders, they're, they're just invincible. I mean, that's just how it goes. So um, that's my major takeaways, Tommy. So that's my five minutes of the program. We can finish this up in 10 more uh, and then uh, go have uh, brunch. Jason, looking at the stat lines, clearly Carolina's offense was unbelievable. But I think the biggest stat line for me of the entire game is uh, looking at Duke's defense. Chris Rumpf had one tackle for loss. Dumakeji had none. They came in with 15 sacks and 18 tackles for losses. Between them, uh, Phil Longo's masterful game plan to prevent those guys from getting off. Um, and then Carolina executed it. I thought that right there was the ball game, especially in the first 30 minutes. And I want to ask Jason to follow up, you know, including his answer there, because I'm not sure I fully understand it. Uh, and I'm not sure all of our listeners do. But how does the RPO game really help protect the quarterback and, and prevent uh, the kind of carnage that uh, – Rumpf and his amigo uh, have been executing on everybody else. I, I think the RPO game has a lot to do to it, but I think you can give me a more detailed explanation. Yeah, so I'm going to take that second part first. I mean, and this was something we discussed in the in the pregame to this one of how do you uh, how do you slow down that rush? Well, you know, if you can run the football and use a lot of the RPO stuff, you can you can find some ways to to help there. The biggest thing. So first of all running a bunch of RPOs is not going to protect your quarterback if you're not running the football well. If, 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 you don't, if, if they don't have to respect the run, then you're just going to take a lot more shots on your quarterback. But if you've got, got, if you've got a, a, a good running game, then what the RPO does is it allow – all you're doing is you're, you're, block, you're run blocking on the offensive line. And everybody in, uh, on the offensive on the offensive line and the running back and oftentimes an H back they're all blocking run and the running back is running he's he's going to get the ball he's he he feels like he's going to get the ball and then the difference is that well he doesn't get the ball <laughs> the the guys on the outside and the quarterback are at least potentially going past what this does is it forces the defensive front to 
basically match up and use techniques that are designed to go against run blocking. So when you're a defensive end, for example, if you see that, that offensive tackle pass set and he's, he's stepping back to protect, you're coming off the ball and you're, you're getting into your pass rush moves, right? So you got a guy like Chris Rumpf who's got nice bursts and all that. He sees that and he's coming off the ball the same way initially either way. But again, as soon as he feels the pressure of a guy coming into him in a, in a, in a run block where he's actually coming out to meet him, then he actually has to slow himself down a little bit to be able to, to make sure he doesn't overrun a play, that he doesn't get too far upfield or out of a gap trying to get to the quarterback. He's got to stop the run. And then it's not a run. Quarterback's pulling the ball and throwing. So the, everything up front is geared towards stopping that run. And that really slows that, that defensive front down a bunch because, they again, they have to be in their gaps. They have to honor that, that run even more than what you have to on, on play action, for example. And that's one of the things, you know, you see teams do play action. One of the things that play action is going to do is you're going to see the defensive front have to slow down just a little bit because they have to honor the, the difference between that and a true pass set. So those defensive linemen are watching what the offensive linemen are doing. They're responding, not just watching it, but they're actually responding to it by feel. And they have to, they have to, they're, they're defending the run. Now, if, they, if they're good enough, if, if you've got a really, really good defensive tackle, say, who's able to get penetration against the run, sometimes that guy can cause problems for both at the same time at that point. So if he's getting into the backfield and is, you know, two yards deep into the backfield, you know, shortly after the snap, even against the, the run blocking, then he could potentially blow up the run, the run. And as he's recognizing, oh, this guy doesn't have the ball, he just continues on his way to the quarterback, you know, and, and, and causes problems. So you, it's, not a, it's not a panacea. It doesn't solve everything. But when you're able to run the football like that and then able to just – it's the same look. You're not disguising anything. It's everybody's actually still run blocking. Then those guys are not in pass rush mode. They can't be focused on getting to the quarterback because – it's, it's a run play. So a lot of times what defenses have to do against that is you might have to bring a blitz. You might have to bring an extra guy who's, whose job it is is to focus on stopping the run, running quarterback perhaps. You know, they're, they're trying to get to the quarterback with that guy, and maybe he's not responsible for this specific gap in this particular, in this particular front. Maybe you take your free guy, the usual guy that you're going to be uh, – relying on to get to the ball carrier that guy sometimes is just going to the quarterback but then that can lead to really big plays in the running game so most most teams prefer not to do that so basically it it allows you to control the front with your running game in a way that you can't do any other way and that's why it slows things down and then uh and then on the outside you know you're getting some easy throws because the only times you're pulling the ball and you're not actually running it and you're not actually handing it off is when you have favorable matchups and, you know, like the five of the first six plays for Carolina were on those little uh, uh, RPO glance routes where if Duke is going to put that extra, extra pass defender in the box and have him step up against the run, then it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup 
all you have to do as a quarterback is pull the ball and throw the slant. It's a, it's, it's just for a quarterback. It's no different than the three-step passing game. It's no different than your quick game passing game. So all you do is show the ball, bam, and go. And, and a lot of times you don't even, you, you tell your quarterback on some of that quick game stuff, once you see this, just show it. You don't even have to really put it in there and ride, ride it with the, uh, with the, the back. Just show it and get, get the ball out because all that matters is that that guy's coming up. And if you see him coming up, just go. So it can simplify a lot of things for the offense. And it's just really hard for the defense because all of the keys that you're taught to, to, to go, go by on the defensive side are false. You can't be right. It's option football. And that, you know, that's the, the hallmark of option football is that, you know, no matter what that guy does, He's the, op- the guy I'm optioning. No matter what decision he makes, I'm going to make him wrong. And you're just doing that down the field and some of that RPO stuff. So that, that's that. And, Tommy, I can't even remember what your question was. Well, I, I think I remember it, but I want to ask you this based off your answer there. What's the difference in the way Carolina does play action versus RPO? Because I don't so, see a ton of difference. Oh, there's a, there's a pretty big difference in terms of what you're doing on the offensive line. That's, yeah, so, that's what I want to hear about. Yeah, so the difference is in, in an RPO situation, the offensive line is actually just block. There, there's no thought about the pass. They're blocking a run play. So it's a power, you know, it's a counter, it's split zone, it's, you know, in standard inside zone. It's a number of different things, but they are blocking, they're run blocking, period. In a play action situation, they are, it's, you're, you're, you're punching, so you, you, know, you, you don't immediately pass set generally. So you, you step like it's a run, and then immediately you, from that, you are then shielding and you're trying to prevent that guy from getting into the backfield. So it's not the same. It's a, it's a play action where uh, the, quarterback, the quarterback's action is often, it often looks very similar, uh, but the quarterback doesn't have the option to give it. So it's going to look the same in terms of what the ball, what, what's, what's happening. But the quarterback doesn't have the option to give it. And the offensive line, instead of blocking run, first of all, they're not, you're not going to see any offensive linemen ever get downfield on a play action because their job is to step to where they're going, make it look like run for just a split second, and then pass set. And there are a few different ways that you can do this on the offensive line. Some, some play action is straight pass set. Even though it's play action in the backfield, it's window dressing. That's more for the linebackers than it is for the defensive front. And so a lot of the, the longer yardage type uh, play, uh, play action passing situations, you're just going to see the offensive line. They're actually pass setting on play action. Now, you can cause some problems for the defensive front by running a draw there where you pass set and then run block. So, you know, there's different counters that you have even with that. But uh, on a lot of play action, and you can tell the difference between play action and RPOs just by what the defense or by what the offensive line's doing. Are they moving forward? Are the guards, for example, pushing out to the line of scrimmage and then you know trying to get upfield to the to the backer, or are you seeing guys are their head are their heads are their helmets coming up, and that's that's the traditional way that you have your linebackers and safeties read run or pass. Where's the helmet? Is the helmet down and going forward, or is the guy standing up and the helmet coming up? As soon as you see that helmet come up, you're pass covering. As soon as you see that helmet go down, that's a run. What the RPO does is it plays around with that and said and and it says okay your key is that helmet's coming down he's coming to your level you better meet it but the problem is it's not it turns out it's not a run because the guy pulled it 
So that's the difference between the RPO and the, and the play action is one, you're, you're actually pass blocking though. Initially, a lot of times there might be a step from a guy or two that's going to try to make it look disguised. Uh, but you're actually pass setting. You're, you're pre- trying to prevent those guys from getting up field, getting to the quarterback. The other one, you are just straight run blocking. From the receivers, quarterbacks side of things, it, it, it's negligible difference. Go ahead, Buck. You're muted. <laughs> one of the questions that I have is, um, has the um, sort of the widespread acceptance and teaching of zone blocking at even at the high school level, uh, has that made the RPO game a little easier? Because back in the day, it was usually man blocking. You, you put a hat on the hat, a guy in front of you. Uh, and then I can't remember the guy's name, some guy in Denver. He was the offensive line coach out there back in when they had, uh, you know, all those great running backs that would some running back from there would get the MVP almost every year. I can't remember the guy's name, but I think you're talking about Alex Gibbs. That's him. Uh, and he sort of, uh, brought zone blocking into the modern era. Uh, and you know, now that's filtered down to, you know, I see, I watch a lot of high school, um, coaching tips. There, there are several high school coaches out there. I follow on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, YouTube, and they're teaching guys to zone block as you know, in the high school now and with zone blocking, which would be blocking for the run, um, that's gotten so widespread that does that make the RPO game, does RPO game sort of feed off of that, I guess is where, where I'm going there. More so that's than a, man blocking. That's, it's tricky. Uh, so I would say no. Uh, the main reason for that is that now most teams are running RPOs off of every type of blocking scheme you can imagine. So, first of all, it's a little tricky, too, because zone blocking, generally speaking, I mean, one of the rules of zone blocking is if you've got a guy in front of you, you block him. (laughs) It's man blocking at that point. Everybody's going to step to to the gap that they're responsible for. But if you've got four defensive linemen over five offensive linemen, those five offensive linemen who have a uh, defensive lineman over them are blocking those four defensive linemen. It, It doesn't really look all that different. Uh, in that regard but the the big thing is I mean a lot of what Carolina does in the in the in the RPO game they're RPOing off of gap gap blocking principles so they're 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 RPOing off of a counter or off of a off of a power where you've got a guy pulling you've got all sorts of different things that are that are happening there and you're just RPOing off of that and all that matters is that there's there's a conflict defender and it could be a pre-snap RPO where if that guy's lined up closer to the box, throw the bubble or throw the, throw the, uh, the little uh, spot screen. Any number of things you can do with that. Or if that guy is coming forward at the snap, this is a post-snap RPO. If that guy's coming forward at the snap, throw the glance right behind him. 
And you can do that off of power. You can do that off of wide zone. You can do that off of tight zone or inside zone. You can do that off of counter. You can do that. You can do it off of some quarterback action. I mean, there's any number of things that you can do. And the beauty of the RPO is that you can basically divorce the actual run concept from the pass concept. So, I mean, you, you get certain, certain uh, offenses, for example, where, and this is, this is a very modern way to do this in terms of how you, how you call it. And this is one of the things that gets tricky. When, as soon as you add this kind of element to your offense, the question is, how do, you, how do you call it in terms of the language to make it easy for your players to be able to remember and execute? So what a lot of teams have done is they'll call, let's say, 39. And 39 might be, let's say, uh, uh, outside zone, uh, an outside zone G where you've got a, a puller. So you got 39 is your standard run call. But now what you do is you say, okay, we're going to go 39, but then we're going to have like uh, the names of fast food restaurants are going to be our tags. So we're going to go 39 McDonald's and McDonald's means we're going to run the glance route on the outside. And now it's 39, but it's an RPO. And so, or, or, you know, now you're going to go 39 Wendy's and now you're going to have the outside, you're going to have the, 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 the same outside zone G you're running the same run play. Only now you've got the spot screen on the backside with that. And that's all, and that's all it means. You know, 39 Burger King. <laughs> and you've got, you know, outside guy running deep, inside guy running a little quick out, and bam. And so, you know, people do this with, you know, you might do it with, with beverage names, with, with, you know, any number of things. And you just you add those as tags into your offense. And all you're doing is you're, you're tagging with, say, a, a quick game concept along with the run game concept. So now you, you haven't even added anything to your offense. All, that, all, that, all that's happened is you're just adding the tag to the play call. And you can do that with any, any run concept can be done with, you can do this with. Now there are a limited number of pass concepts that you can use because you have to get the ball out quickly enough and all of that in terms of the offensive line not being too far downfield. But you can basically just tag any run concept and say, okay, we're going to go uh, speed option, right. Sonic <laughs> speed option, right. Sonic and speed option, right. Sonic means we're running speed option. Everything up front is speed option. And we just have an additional backside, you know, backside post. You know, a, Jason, uh, you know, quick post. really should be getting paid for these uh, mentions. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Maybe I need to start eating those on air and uh, and getting uh, getting my um, getting my pay from getting some sponsorship for that stuff. But um, but I mean, I think that's that. I mean, that's basically it. It's not a matter of getting simplified by the by the blocking schemes or anything by the popularity of zone stuff or anything else. Especially since these days, you look at like Lincoln Riley or uh, what they're doing in, in Chapel Hill or what they're doing in Tallahassee, those teams, they're running a ton of, 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 uh, of gap blocking. I mean, North Carolina, it runs more gap blocking than they do zone blocking this year. And so, but the thing is they're, they're just like Lincoln Riley. They are using a lot of RPO concepts off of those gap blocking plays. And that it's just so hard under the defense. What I do think has made it a lot easier is all of the seven on seven. So you look at quarterbacks are 
coming in more prepared to be able to make some of these quick decisions because of throwing and catching so much in the seven on seven game. So somebody asked me yesterday, how does the running back and quarterback know who's keeping or pulling? How does that work between those two? Yeah, so you rep that a ton, first of all. Um, but the rule is that the, the, the running back, when he's coming through the line of scrimmage, he's, he's going to go just like a normal handoff where he's got, you know, the inside arm is up. And the quarterback is going to put the ball in the pocket. So that's, that's the thing. And then the quarterback is responsible to work with, to ride the, the, the mesh point with his feet moving with the running back until he makes that decision. And the running back, his job is to stay soft. He can't close his hands on the ball until the quarterback pulls his hands. So basically, you, the, the ball's in there, the ball's in there, and then the quarterback either leaves it or he takes it. And, it. and the running back has to be on the ball so that it doesn't come out once the quarterback lets go. But he has to be soft on the ball so that the quarterback can still pull it. And it's just a matter of repping that enough so that, the, so that each guy has a feel for – how that, what that's going to feel like. And, and that's something where sometimes one quarterback might have a slightly different touch than another quarterback in that regard. And that's sometimes where you'll see, say a backup comes in and you'll see a fumble on an exchange like that on a mesh point, because they're not used to meshing together as much as the guys that rep together all the time. So sometimes that's, that's, that's an issue. Most coaches now have all their quarterbacks or let's say their top two quarterbacks rep with their top three running backs enough that that's not going to be an issue all the time, but it is something you have to rep a bunch. And, and as long as the running back doesn't clamp too early, because that's really where you're going to get most of the problems is one of two things, either the quarterback's not going to put it far enough in the pocket. So the quarterback just kind of puts it on the side and the running back never has it, which that could happen in a regular handoff or the running back clamps down too early and the quarterback goes to pull. And then, you know, you have kind of a fight over the ball. Uh, but basically as long as the running back doesn't clamp down too early, it's actually pretty easy. I mean, you can, you could practice this at home with, you know, with your kid or with your uh, very, very tolerant spouse of let's, you know, see if we can, you know, exchange this ball and you run this Mine's way. and not that tolerant. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but, you know, you put that in, let's see how we could do this. And you can see that it actually, it, it works pretty well. And it's the same exchange principles that you have on something like a zone read or any sort of, any sort of option concept. I mean, triple option going back to the sixties, fifties, where you have the dive back coming, you know, you got the quarterback turns, pivots, puts the ball in the belly of the dive back, and then is, is reading. Same principle. It's exactly the same principle. You rep it exactly the same way. That guy's got the ball or, or the quarterback pulls it, and you just stay soft until the quarterback pulls, pulls his hands. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. You can get good at this just by repping it and making sure that guys – do what they're, what they're told to do and don't clamp down too early and make sure you put it all the way in there before you, you know, whether you're pulling it or not. There you go. The story writes itself. I'm going to take a second and talk about Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. Mm. Uh, certainly sponsors of inside Carolina and great friends of inside Carolina premium subscribers. You get 10% off your order. And let me tell you, they have so many sales going on uh, around the holidays. You can really get some good deals on anything you need. Clothes related sweatshirts, uh, outdoor gear, indoor gear, man cave gear, however you want to do it, Johnny T-shirt. And look, they're just such nice folks. 
They're alumni owned and operated local business, small business. We need to support them as much as possible. If you're buying Carolina gear over the holidays, buy it from Johnny T-shirt, either in the store or online. Do them a favor. Do us a favor. Um, they're awesome. If you're listening to the Inside Carolina Live shows on Saturday mornings or whenever they are, uh, you have opportunities to win gift cards and even the jerseys they give away. So a great deal for all of us at Inside Carolina, a great deal for you if you're a listener. Support Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be back with the day after podcast. Carolina beats Duke. And today we're getting an education from Jason Staples. More to come after the break. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, folks, you're back with the day after podcast. Carolina blows out Duke and Durham. Like I said earlier, and Buck said as well, uh, we talk for hours when Carolina loses. We talk for short period times when Carolina does their job. And, and Buck, I'm listening to Jason talk about all these concepts that the offense does. Um, let's talk about the Carolina defense a little bit. I, I thought. Um, I thought there were some leaks on defense. Uh, um, it's tough to find leaks when you win by 32 points. But, Buck, your thought on how the defense played. Chaz Surratt certainly had a big game. Uh, I'm not so, I used to think Chase Bryce was a good quarterback. Good Lord. He, he did not look good against Carolina, Buck. But I think the defense is where Carolina has to lean or get some more production, especially in the next three weeks or the next month. Your thoughts on what they look like against Duke? Well, the, of course, you know, with like every defense in college football right now, there are missed assignments. There are uh, you know, some poor tackling. Uh, there's a lot of things going on um, with defenses nationwide. Um, Florida put what 40 on uh, Georgia, which is probably the best, most talented defense in the nation. Um, and you know, it, it's getting more and more difficult. The, the good news yesterday was that North Carolina did not have to face a quarterback that can use his legs to beat you. Uh, even if you're they're facing a the quarterback, that isn't that great of a passer. If that guy can run the ball, he's causing North Carolina defense problems. I mean, that's just the way it's been. We saw it against Florida, saw it against Virginia. Uh, thankfully, we were not going to see it next week against Wake Forest because Hartman's not that guy either that runs the ball the way, um, for example, uh, the Florida State or Virginia quarterback did. And, you know, it, it, it's a, I'm wondering why this particular year that defenses look so lousy. I mean, you're, I mean, this is across the board issue. You see it in the big 10, you see it in the sec, uh, you see it in the ACC, um, NC state put 
what uh, on Miami, who's supposed 41. to have a good, they're supposed to have a good defense. Um, and you know they uh, Georgia it, gave up forty four yesterday. Yeah, there you go. I mean, Michigan, uh, Michigan. Don Brown is a really good coordinator. Yeah, I mean, my, my one of the probably top five coordinators in the country, and Michigan gave up thirty one to Indiana. You know, I I don't know what to attribute this to. COVID. Uh, and, uh, and it is it is absolutely the difference in terms of preparation. No spring. That's what I've heard people say that, um, you know, for defenses is so much about getting the fundamentals right, getting the technique right, that if you don't have time to rep and practice that stuff, it's going to show up. Now, does – UNC's defense have issues that are unique to it. Sure. Um, you know, there are, you know, some uh, deficiencies in uh, personnel. The uh, defensive secondary that started the Syracuse game, none of them played yesterday. All four, both corners and both safeties that started Syracuse are on the, on the sidelines. Uh, so, you know, injury is an issue. I think some there, I think they played pretty well, notwithstanding the fact that they're, they were playing with guys that did not begin the year as starters. Um, but I, I don't think that all of North Carolina's defensive issues are due to personnel or uh, due to injury. I think there's a systemic problem, as Jason says, relating back to the lack of opportunity to practice fundamentals and uh, techniques in the spring. And, and tackling. And, and tackling. And, 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 and ta I mean, think about this. Even once you start practicing in, in the fall, think about how teams have limited contact. Yes. And limited – and not just and not just full contact in terms of tack, tackling to the ground and all that, but like making sure that guys are more distanced in practice. And these sorts of things. I mean, you're, you're trying to minimize how much close contact guys are having in practice. You're, you're, you're practicing much more like it's a seven-on-seven seven situation in a lot of these places. So you're not getting the same level of, uh, of physicality that you're, that you're able to develop in camp and all of that. I mean, especially in the first weeks of camp. You, you just weren't able to get the usual grind in that's really going to help that defense early on. And that's why defense is almost – Every season, defenses start ahead of the offense. This season, it's been the opposite because the defense never really got worked into things to be able to do things in, the, you know, focusing on the physicality and taking guys to the ground. And I've heard you say this before, and uh, just looking at what happened on uh, Saturday, you know, in college football, I think it kind of proves your point that you can't really catch up during the season, you know, when you've missed that amount of preparation, uh, you're not going to make up for the preparation that you lost in the preseason during an ordinary practice week. When you're getting ready to play like next week, they're going to play Wake Forest. Uh, during that week, they're going to probably work, be working on things, uh, relate just related to what Wake Forest does, and and so you're you're not going to get this same amount, you know, in the spring and for some part of fall practice or fall camp, 
they're not thinking about any specific team. They're, they're working on fundamentals, techniques, tackling, those kinds of things. So is the defense going to miraculously get better the rest of this year? My guess is not. You know, uh, you know, I think it helps to see some of these younger players like Des Evans and Miles Murphy flash a little bit. That's helpful. Um, but, you know, the defense, you know, in the way overworked cliche of the year, it, it is what it is at this point. You know, it's, it's not going to get radically better. Now, maybe they can make strides uh, before a bowl game. If there's a month between uh, when the last game is played and when the bowl game starts, then they could probably get some work in on fundamentals and uh, do some of the things that they weren't able to do uh, in the spring and in fall camp. But other than that, I, I, I just don't see not a huge step forward for North Carolina's defense uh, over the rest of the regular season. Yeah, I don't disagree there. Maybe get healthy in the secondaries a little bit. Um, would help North Carolina. Jason, looking towards Carolina's defense, I, I mentioned Chaz Surratt. I thought he had a good game. I thought Cam Kelly tackled. If Cam Kelly tackles like that, like he did yesterday against Virginia and even Florida State, Carolina, those games might have been different. Um, talk about Patrice Renee. I thought he looked pretty good, and I thought they put him in some positions that were a little different. But specifically those guys, Jason, but also the importance of getting those younger guys some reps. I'll say right now, I said it on Twitter, they should have gotten more reps. Not they should have been in there. In my view, they should the, the younger guys should have been in there about mid-third quarter, uh, kind of at the latest. They should have started working some of the younger guys in even earlier. On both sides but, of the ball, too. Yeah, well, especially on the, uh, on the defensive side, you want to get those guys in earlier than later. And they did with some of those guys. I think on the defensive side, they were working some of the young guys in, into the lineup. They didn't go to a, to, a, uh, to a fully young lineup until later. And I can understand that. But, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, there were some really encouraging things there. I, I thought, I, again, I think Renee has continued to improve and, and work his way back into form over the course of the season. You could see early in the season, I mean, that first game – it was it kind of hurt me to watch him run because he just did not look comfortable running. He he looked like he was running in quicksand and looked like a guy that wasn't comfortable on his knee. And with some of the stuff that we saw from him against Duke, you're looking at a guy that is starting to look like a like an NFL corner again. Uh, and they they, they used a, that corner blitz off the off the, uh, the short side quite a bit against against Duke. And you could see Duke was going to try to use some of the the running running quarterback concepts. That, that had hurt Carolina a little bit uh, coming into this game, that they that they'd, they were going to try to do some of that with Chase Bryce, even though he's not much of a runner. And Bateman guessed right on a couple of those and basically said, we're going to br bring our, our corner into that look. We think you might be running your quarterback. And sure enough, they were. And, and he had a couple opportunities for tackles for loss as a result and, and, fi and finished the job. Uh, so, so that's good. And you could see him, you know, jumping, jumping on some, some, uh, underneath routes, almost had a pick on one of them. So really, really encouraging to see. But the other thing is you mentioned all the young guys and, you know, I went back this morning and I went back and, and I watched the last, uh, last quarter and a half closely 
just, you know, rewinding, looking back, looking at players, because <laughs> this is really the first opportunity we've had to see some of these players in this extended of a competition uh, on game day without, without it being against a really bad, bad team. I mean, this is, this is, Duke is not a bad, bad football team. This is an opportunity to see them against an ACC offense. And before, and in some cases before Duke had completely gone to backups as well. So that's really helpful. And some guys showed that they really have a chance to be really good players before they leave Chapel Hill. There, you can see that there's still, you can see why some of these guys are not playing as much earlier in games. You can still see some of that. But the, the talent, the physical talent is there. Uh, I, I think Des Evans continues to show that he's, he's, he's earned, he's continuing to earn more and more time. You're going to see him getting in more and more as the season goes on. And he played a lot in the first half too. Uh, but he's, he's a guy that really fits a lot of what Bateman wants to do on defense and just his length. I mean, you look at the sack that he had, that's just a length sack. That's just an offensive lineman not being able to get to his pads and him being able to compress the pocket a little bit and, you know, quarterback gets flushed to him and he finishes the job. And that's just straight up being really, really long. And you could see that on a number of occasions. He's still going to have to work on bend a little bit, but the physical talent is really there. And, and you know, some counter moves and some hand, you know, he's really, really immature and young with his hand usage at this point. He, he just doesn't, nothing is really natural. You can see he's kind of thinking about where he's got to put his hands instead of just naturally reacting and responding. Uh, but again, all of that stuff, you give him a year and that guy's going to be, he's going to start really flashing next year, I think. And, and so that's, that's good. I thought Pinder showed really good, uh, really good burst on the inside. Now, again, his hand placement is a mess. Uh, you know, he, there were a number of plays where you could see the offensive lineman's got both hands on, on, the, on the plates of, of, his, uh, of his chest because he just didn't, he didn't handle the hand placement and did, wasn't able to win the hand fighting enough to be able to keep himself from getting blocked. But even when he was getting blocked like that, a lot of times his explosiveness was good enough to at least maintain his gap and get some penetration. He just wasn't going to be making any play that, that way. Uh, and I thought Miles Murphy continued. I mean, he played some, he played a good bit early and I thought he was a guy that, that, um, that really looked again, he looks the part and he looks like he's going to be a player. And uh, another guy that played a lot in this game early and played early was Kevin Hester. Uh, and Hester again showed that one of the things that again with Hester, he's six, four, and you can see some of that length with him where you're, you're, you're seeing the, the biggest difference with some of these older guys or with some of these younger guys is instead of being, say, 5'11", 6 foot, you know, 270, 280, or in some cases, 5'11", 300, you're looking at 6'4", 6'5". And the, the, the arm length and the ability to just the bigger bodies – those guys close down gaps just because they're length. And so that's, that's a really encouraging thing to see in terms of what, what, what the future looks like. Now that said, once those guys all got on the field together, Duke scored without too much trouble. So it does tell you something about why they're, why, you know, well, why, why don't you just play the young guys? Because, you know, obviously the older guys aren't getting it done. Well, the older guys shut that Duke 
offense down. The younger guys, you can see the flashes and you can see, oh man, he's going to be so much better than the older guy, but he's not yet because of that play. I mean, there's a play in, uh, coming off the goal line. Uh, I think it was early fourth quarter where Des Evans just got nosy and he got out of his gap and led a guy around the, around the left edge. And he didn't play for a couple, for a few snaps after that, because it's just, you got, you've got to do your job. You've got to be in exactly the right spot. And just little things like that that are getting cleaned up, but the physical talent is there. And, uh, and I think there's a lot to be encouraged by there. I would have really liked to see more of some of the young offensive linemen early, uh, you know, much earlier. You saw a little bit of them, you know, say half second half of the fourth quarter. And, you know, to me, some of those offensive linemen, we don't know what happened with Brian Anderson yet, but some of those offensive linemen, the starters are really valuable. And I think you've got to give some of those young guys a little bit more time, but I, I tend to default to playing more guys in general. So. Yeah. They, Brian Anderson potential injury could be a significant okay. problem for North Carolina. And like I said, and I'll say it again, he shouldn't have been on the field at the time. I understand the reasoning, but I don't understand why. Uh, that's my nitpick for the game. Otherwise I thought the game went very well for Mike Brown and staff, but, to close the show, let's look around the, maybe the ACC a little bit. Um, I'm not going to mention Florida State, Jason. I promise I won't mention how – good God. <laughs> I mean, but Notre Dame-Clemson. You, you uh, just broke your promise. <laughs> I, I didn't really – that that team down there is struggling. But Notre Dame-Clemson, you know, Carolina fans should have been huge Clemson fans last night because I don't see Notre Dame or Clemson losing again before the – ACC championship game, but but what do you think just on a national scale, including Clemson, Notre Dame, college football world yesterday? Well, I, I think that uh, maybe uh, Jim Harbaugh might be uh, <laughs> polishing up his resume a little bit. Um, you know, uh, I think one team that nobody's really talking about that much is BYU. Um, you know, they just. Uh, body slam Boise State and it wasn't I mean it was sort of like the the Duke UNC game um the the Clemson Notre Dame outcome I, I have to be honest it surprised me now I, I know that uh um you know the, the elf was out uh but DJ last name unpronounceable uh was pretty good I mean, he threw for 439 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, you know, ETN had a tough game. I think Notre Dame's run defense is really, really good. Um, but, you know, it really surprised me, that outcome of that game. I honestly well, – got to remember how many guys Clemson had out on, on defense, too. I mean, yeah, three, their just, four best defensive players are out. Yeah. But, but still, I, I just did not see – uh, Notre Dame putting 33 on Clemson in regulation and then to finish the game with 47. You know, that, I just did not see that coming. Uh, Ohio State, to be honest, really wasn't that impressive, you know, against uh, Rutgers. And, you know, people are starting to second-guess uh, the Ohio State University. And uh, the, the Florida-Georgia game is just ridiculous. I mean uh, – that's another game that wasn't close. And it was another instance of now Georgia and Jason will 
probably back this up, but they got five-star talent all over that defense. I mean, all over it. And Florida put 44 points on them. I mean, threw for 474 yards, four touchdown passes. I mean, um, it's another – it's either an illustration – of the impact of the pandemic on preparation in college football, or uh, it's a sign that, you know, in this day and age, good offense beats good defense pretty consistently. And it may be as that, yeah, that could be both, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, those are kind of the games that jumped out to me. I don't know if there's another one that uh, I'd talk about. Um, you know, Texas uh, squeaks out a close one over West Virginia. Who cares? Liberty, it's not a shock to me that they beat Virginia Tech. I mean. How they did, though, was. Well, yeah, it was pretty dramatic. Yeah. Pretty glorious. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> glorious. Hey, let's score a touchdown, and but call a timeout right before doing that. Uh, doesn't seem like a good, uh, good – you know, we, we fault uh, North Carolina's co- coaches sometimes for their clock management and game decisions. How would you like to be Justin Fuente today? You're going to ice a kicker on a 60-yard field goal where he hadn't kicked anything remotely that long yeah. ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, by yeah. the way, by the way, let's think about this. Let's go back to that Georgia game uh-huh. and just Georgia in general. Uh-huh. What continues to amaze me about Georgia is how Kirby Smart and, and you gotta wonder, like, is this like a just a, a flat out stubbornness thing where he wants to he wants to it's his aim to prove that you can actually win in modern football without I, I think a quarterback? That's it. I think that's it. I, even though his mentor, Nick Saban, gave up on that philosophy about what, three years ago now or so? Four? Oh no, that was longer than that. I mean, you know, Nick Nick it, was, been was a while, already you know, but yeah. But to prove, like, you know what? I think we can win without a quarterback, and let's just prove to the nation that it's more fun doing it that way. And, and, and you realize Georgia could Fields. have Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they crazy. chose they, – they had Justin Fields on campus, and they chose to treat him as a runner who couldn't throw. And yeah. they, they would bring him on the field for two or three plays a game to run some sort of spread option with him and then trot – a guy out there who is not as good as him. And then this year, you're, they, I mean, look, I, I. You're not going to beat Florida if your quarterback goes five of 16 for 78 yards. And I, I mean. You're just Stetson, not doing it, you know. Stetson, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, be, be too, too hard on a guy. But, I mean, they've got two five-star guys behind him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they could be putting JT Daniels out there. Yeah. But is he fully healthy? Is he cleared to play? Oh, he's ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me at this point, it's almost like performance art that he's trying to, to prove a point about what you can do with or without a quarterback. And that program is as good as you can be without a quarterback. And to, to me, the amazing thing is that they had one, one B in terms of best quarterbacks in the country on their roster and were ready to roll. At the start of the season with Newman and 
Daniels. No, I'm talking about a year ago when, they, when, uh, when, when they just, you know, basically, oh, said, uh, you know, we're not really interested in modernizing and, and yeah. you know, letting Justin Fields just throw it all over the place. So why don't you and go you, somewhere else? They hired an offensive coordinator that was supposed to be, you know, to, to use a, an, an antique term, the bee's knees, uh, Monken, I guess, Todd Monken. Uh, he was just supposed to be just like this, uh, offensive genius that was going to bring Georgia into the uh, 1970s, at least offensively. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, what are they doing? I mean, but the thing is you can't modernize until you have a quarterback. Just just ask Larry Fedora. Well, they, they have some though. That's the problem. They just don't not playing them. Right. And that's the part that is baffling to me. Like you have Justin Fields. And then you choose, eh, you know what, well, we, can, we can try to win without him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that, I think that's crazy. But okay, so now, now you have other, other guys in your own. Oh, you know what, we think we can roll out Stetson Bennett out there against, uh, against Alabama and Florida. And we think, we think we're, in, we're in good shape. We just got to make sure we can manage the game enough to let our defense win. <laughs> but because defense wins championships. Never yeah. has. Yeah. So. Even even when even when it was a more defensive game, you still had to have complete teams, and that whole defense wins championships thing has always been wrong. No Certainly more hasn't seven, been right six, since the eighties. No more seven six wins like Bama beat LSU that time or whatever. It's yeah. it's fascinating to watch how important quarterbacks are. Even though Jason, you mentioned it, and we need to get out of here and wrap the show. I told you two weeks ago that I thought. Skowski's absence on Clemson's defense was more important than Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I still think with with Lawrence, they beat Notre Dame by seventeen. We'll find yeah. out. It and with with like. with Skowski, with Skowski out, everything else being the same, because the, as many yards as they threw for, as many yards as as the 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 young guy threw for, and and you know he's a really good player. They left some plays out there that led to to no scores that were not going to get missed by by the elf. And so, you know, there's still a pretty big gap and, and that guy's going to be really good though, but there's still a pretty, pretty big gap. I I'm, I'm surprised though. We're getting out of here, Tommy, without, without talking about your, your, what had to be your favorite part of this last game. The backup quarterback. I saw in. Jacoby Criswell oh, and <laughs> Jace Reuter on the field there. I, I figured that we'd talk about that at least half this, this episode. So what'd you yeah. see from the, uh, from the, did, from the young guys? I, I didn't see. They just see handed much. the ball off. <laughs> I saw. You, you know what? And, I, and Jason, your opinion. Seriously, I thought Chriswell has potential. He looked a little nervous out there when he has a hard time getting his feet. That's understandable. But I wanted to see him throw the ball down the field. Yeah. Rationale. I'll tell you who did look good coming in late is the uh, running back. Mm-hmm. Jones. Brooks. Oh, DJ Both Jones. Them. But Jones did definitely. He, he's got some explosion to his game, you know. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be the thing we talk about all offseason is how they're going to replace Javante and uh, Michael Carter. Uh, even talk- though some people will hold out hope for Javante. <laughs> no. You know, he, he could be a day one guy. I mean, possibly. Oh. If you running backs go day one, but. High second round, at least I would think. Which is day two these days, but yeah, yeah. Um, he's got. Yeah, I, I, I think, he, I think he's, I've got a second round. I've got a second round. Second round grade on him. Yeah. If he tries to stay in Chapel Hill, somebody needs to drive him 
to the NFL draft. I mean, that kid is fantastic. Yeah, he, <laughs> I would I would advise him right now. You need to start. You need to start getting your people considering. You know who your representation needs to be because you need to. And leave. as smart as he is, it is. Uh, I'm guessing he's going to get his degree by December. Um, if he doesn't already have it, you know, I mean, um, and he, even if he you know, didn't, he, he, he would have no problem getting it, you know, in three or four years, it doesn't matter. A lot of things are done online now anyway. Yeah. So, you know, well, he, he was great and we didn't talk about him. I, I mean, he's, he's ridiculous. And I think with ETN having a rough day against Notre Dame, I think if, if Williams can show out against Notre Dame, whether or not Carolina wins or loses, I, I think that, you know, yeah, I've always people ETM. criticize uh, PFF rankings, but uh, or you know uh, evaluations. But Javante is just ridiculous in terms of making people miss. You know, uh, I don't know if he makes you miss. Make a, he just runs over you. And well, he's gonna he's gonna find a way to tackles. get through a tackle. Yeah, yeah. Whether, yeah, whether it's making and the thing is, he does both. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, you know, I, I got a, a few people who criticized me in the summer for my scouting reports when I had, I had Williams as the top guy on the offense. It was like, wait, you're going to have him over Howell? Mm. Yeah. You see why? You're, he's not even the starting running back. I don't care. <laughs> that guy is an absolute stud. And he's going he's to be – NFL teams are going to love him after this year, Well, He could be a three-down guy, you know, yeah. at the next yeah. level. He could catch the ball, you know. He's one of the few guys that, that NFL teams could look at and be like, this guy could actually be a feature. Yeah. You know, he can, he can be a load carrier. And, you know, that, 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 those guys are, are something else at the next level. So, yeah. yeah, he's fun to watch. Don joined us on Inside Carolina Live, and he said, uh, you might remember the name Caleb Hood for replacement for Javante. So that'll be interesting to watch. But, yeah, he is. That'll be a big deal. And, and I, you know, I've always said Michael Carter is my guy for the Carolina offense, but wow, Javante is <laughs> Javante's different, as they say. Good problem to have when you have both of them. Absolutely. That'll do it. We talked about the backup quarterback, both of them briefly. Uh, we've covered everything, and we also got education from Jason Staples on the concepts on the offense, RPOs and play actions and blocking and all. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. This has been the day after podcast. Carolina routes Duke, and we all get educated. Thanks, boys. Later, Buy guys. from Johnny T-shirt. Buy from the Johnny T-shirt uh. and, and rate us and review us on uh, iTunes and YouTube and all that stuff. Appreciate it, folks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.